Thank you for tuning in to Beyond the Dais, a podcast about the stories taking place in and around El Paso County, Colorado. I'm your host, Scott Anderson, and my guest today is Sandy Snyder of Colorado Springs. How are you doing today, Sandy? Pretty good. Good. Thanks for having me. Good. No, thank you. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it. So before we get started, I wanted to quickly add that if listeners are interested in more stories about people doing good in and around El Paso County or hearing from county leadership about local government priorities and how they operate, you can find additional episodes of this podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, but Sandy, I was wondering if maybe we could start off by just having you tell me a bit about yourself. All right. Well, I moved to Colorado Springs in 1992 with three kids, mm -hmm. and I raised three kids out here where there was just more opportunity for all of them, and it's been good, and um, gosh, what did I do? I, I've worked in various places, um, you know, usually service-type work, and then I think the thing I've done the most was I've substitute taught since so oh gosh 2005 and then recently i think i had had oh some issues in my life and then my mother got sick and then she died and then i tried to help take care of my dad some and then after that um i have a son who uh, was diagnosed with congestive heart failure at 42 and we don't know, maybe that was sooner than that, you know, we kind of don't know, but mm -hmm. he'd gotten so sick yeah. that uh, we went to the emergency room and that's how we found out it was congestive heart failure. But of course, other things came into that also of how has he lived his life? What has he done? You know, um, and of course, drugs always come in with that. And then um, he uh, had a stroke uh, not much longer or later than that. This was all in 2021. Okay. And then he had a stroke. And uh, he ended up with a blood clot in his heart that eventually moved to his brain. And so then we were back to the emergency room again. And uh, once that happened and that clot went ahead and, you know, there's a time frame that you can get to the emergency room where they can give you this, uh, well, I just call it a special medicine mm -hmm. within a time frame. Yeah. And that happened and that worked. And he was with me when he started having this stroke. And so I just took him to the emergency room and they, uh, we all okayed this medicine and, he is so much better than he would have been because he had that. But the brain um, has a little problem in the cognitive area. There's permanent damage now. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's he's uh, like a man. And then sometimes he has places where, you know, in the cognitive area, he needs some help. Yeah. So that has been what I've worked on for some time. And that in itself is so stressful that right now I am not working so I can handle all of that. Mm -hmm. I want to get back to details about your son in just a second. One thing I want to talk about, though, is you mentioned you were a substitute teacher. Mm -hmm. What is it you liked about substitute teaching? And what did you learn from substitute teaching that you've been able to kind of carry through and help you in these different experiences? Well, um, I got to substitute which I preferred because a lot of it, I wanted to have my master's, which I did start in special ed, mm -hmm. you know, but the problem was I didn't get to spend the time with no. the kids, you know, and maybe the staff, but definitely with the kids. There's so much paperwork and so much of everything. <laughs> so 
I, I didn't go ahead and finish my master's. Instead, I substitute, and I substituted a ton of special ed, which I enjoyed. So uh, that was it. And then I got to substitute things like music and art, um, PE, Spanish. You know, you could um, substitute anything, mm -hmm. and you don't have to know Spanish, and you don't have to know... <laughs> you know, Mandarin, all of this stuff, because what they really are looking for is just somebody that is willing to come in and just help. Mm -hmm. And uh, always there are kids that are so advanced or that, you know, they can't wait to show you what to do. Well, right. it's really <laughs> nice. And teachers will leave you, you know, notes and tell you who to use or the classes <laughs> is going to be run by the students. We just have got to have somebody certified in the room. And boy, right. sometimes that's true. But it's the kids, you know, and a lot of it is they're so innocent. And the younger ones, because I pretty much did special needs preschool through um, elementary school, because mm -hmm. that's you know, what I enjoyed the most because they want to learn and they're so anxious and they all want to share. And one of my favorites was helping children learn to read. Yeah. You know, that that's an area. And one of the other things that it really touched me was a lot of the kids that were homeschooled get put in the regular school and, oh, you know, it's hard, yeah. you know, they're, they're used to so many different things. And then uh, some districts have homeschooled children that get to come into the schools like once or twice a week. And then I sub that too. So it kind of gave me a feel of what it was like for everyone, you know, and it, it yeah. was, you know, I enjoyed it. You say a fill in, but these, these are people, children mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who, who need someone there. Right. Mm -hmm. And for you, what does it mean to be that person that's there for them. Some of it, you know, I can go clear back to the day when it was okay to get hugs and give, give hugs. <laughs> <Right>. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, we would still try to sneak some of that in because they want that, you know. Mm -hmm. Not only do they want boundaries and things when you get there, yeah. but I could hear my name yelled when I first opened the door of that school and kids everywhere, you know, all these years would yell, hi, Miss Snyder, are you subbing for us? And this kind of stuff, you know, it was really good for your ego. But, yeah. you know, they they did. They just are innocent and they just love like that. Mm -hmm. And that, that was a lot of it. And, of course, I'd have my favorites, my favorite kids and my favorite classes, <laughs> sure. you know, everything, because yeah. they would request you over and over if you were a fit. Mm -hmm. So... Um, a lot of it is just the fact that you felt like you were doing something that was needed, you know, and you hope you made it fun for them. Yeah. So, so for those listening, we're recording this at NAMI in Colorado Springs. What is your connection to NAMI and why are, why are we exactly here? <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, like I was saying, you know, my mother had gotten sick, then she died, and then I had some health issues. So about that time, I decided, you know, I'll take care of some health issues because you'll find, you know, in life, you don't take care of yourself like you should. Mm -hmm. And sure enough, it, it all catches up with you in time. But uh, the biggest reason that I'm with NAMI now is I have my son that I was talking about earlier. And uh, when he had his stroke and, you know, the congestive heart failure, you know, he definitely changed into a different person with different needs, you know, from having lived his own life somewhere else to now he lives um, in my backyard <laughs> in an RV. And uh, I had it brought back to my house because I knew there was no way he was going to work after, 
you know, a stroke. And anyway, um, one day my neighbor wanted to talk to me because my neighborhood is like a close neighborhood. We know each other. We know our phone numbers of each other. And uh, one of my neighbors said, hey, I wonder if we could talk. And I thought, oh, no, what's happened now? Well, he said that uh, my son had gone over and talked to them and he just didn't think his life was worth living and he was suicidal and a lot of that goes with some of his conditions, you know, and depression and now he's not working. I mean, he's, you know, his life changed like 100%. Mm-hmm. And so we talked about that for a while and then eventually my neighbor said, I think that we should go ahead and call the police and let them come and talk to him, see what we can do. And um, he said, I just wanted to talk to you first. And we did do that, and we did call, and um, it was hours. And then he even came back and sat with me while we waited for the police. And, of course, everybody's question always is, do you feel safe? Well, (laughs) it's a little hard to feel safe in that situation. And then, of course, you know, your mind is racing, and you're not sure, and you're plenty confused yourself. But anyway... Um, the police finally called me back and they said, do you realize, you know, since your son's known to have guns that we would have to get the guns first. And then he also told me that, yes, we wear our vests and your son might get hurt. And then we had another call later, you know, maybe not even six months later where another police officer told me, you know, there's a point where we have to weigh it out also, which, you know, at that point, I probably didn't understand what I do now. And, you know, you don't want anybody hurt anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. But that's what it came down to. And, you know, some of that I look at, what's that going to do for me? Say he gets hurt. Is that going to make my taking care of him even harder? Yeah. You know, and then we're going to have even more problems. And a lot of times, you know, it's the the way they talk to you, the way they treat you when they're unhappy and, you know, it's like you don't need any more of that. So, so far, we haven't gone that far, and there's other organizations that I've learned about through NAMI. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we also called NAMI. My neighbor had looked up na- numbers and stuff, and, you know, he had watched it for, what, a year or so since he'd moved here, and he could see that, you know, he could hear yeah. <laughs> what goes on at my house and the way, you know, people talk and who's around. And anyway, so we called NAMI. And I tell you, um, I was to the end of everything myself. Mm -hmm. I was so tired of trying to take care of him. You don't know the answers. You don't know what's going on. And you can't read everything and take it all in while it's happening. It's just overwhelming. So I was to the point where I was plenty depressed myself. And uh, when we called NAMI, um, they were so interested in me right then. You know, it wasn't call back later. It wasn't go to voicemail. It wasn't any of that. It was live people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was more than one, and of course I called more than once, but they um, gave me all kinds of ideas, all kinds of direction, and of course they were very interested in, are you safe, but what can we do for you, you know, lots of questions, but I think the thing that uh, still stands out to me is they cared. I really thought I was alone, yeah. you know, and I, I still... You know, I have NAMI, but as far as if you think your family's going to be there for you, especially in that, or their friends or your friends, eventually everybody kind of burns out. And a lot of them, you know, they try to tell you what to do, but they are not in that situation. And not only do you not know, but there's some things that you just know you can't do at that point. Now, you know, I've grown so much I could, but NAMI's always been there. And uh, 
They brought me back to life is what I say. I was so down and out that I had no solution. I could not figure out what to do. And uh, NAMI had endless ideas, but they would call me back. And every time they would ask me how I was doing, you know, and it's like, who asked that? Usually it's like, what's going on? This right. is what you need to do. What did your son do? And it's, it's not that at all. You know, this is still my son. He's different. But anyway, um, they brought me back to life with just their caring. And honest, it's caring. I mean, it's for real. At first, I thought, this isn't for real. You know, they're going to listen to me today. They're going to tell me things we could do maybe or give me suggestions. I don't think they tell me, but they right. kind of guide you down the path that, that would help. But they had so many suggestions and numbers and anything I needed. They were already emailing me. They were texting me. My neighbor got information from them, too. We had everything we needed. Yeah. You know, it was just up to me as to what was I going to do. Was I going to go to any meetings? Was I going to call them back? But they would call the next day, and they would call the next day, and they would ask, how are you doing? What's going on? Is everything okay? And once that all started, then I just came back to life thinking somebody cares, somebody's got ideas, and there is help, and you really don't have to be alone. Well, what does it mean for you to have found an organization like that. I mean, you, the way you were talking before, it mm -hmm. sounds like you're very much in a fog and it's just mm -hmm. kind of directionless. Uh, what does it mean to you to know that there's an organization like NAMI and certainly there are other organizations out mm -hmm. there that put your needs front and center? Well, for a while, because <clears throat> I, I think that was all a year ago in June that that all started. And it's still, there are days where it's still hard to believe all these people really do care. You know, I don't know if it's because we've had so many years of all the other stuff, you know, where people would come and go in your life or tell you what you would do or they would help if, if you would do this or if you would do that, you right. know, and everybody's got ideas. But um, NAMI is always there. And if uh, I couldn't reach them, like during the day to call, which I have called plenty of times, they have the resources. They know where you could go. So um, after, um, you know, I was treated like that and uh, have, you know, everything is going such a positive direction now, you know, from things at home to my personal life, all of it to where I can sort things out. And it's not the fog that it was. You know, you still have issues because we're still waiting and hoping for disability for my son. But now I have it all mapped out and as to what I'm doing and my goals and what direction. So um, I've um, been on the list and I'm going to volunteer more with NAMI. I'm going to answer the phones. But they will tell you, you know, you have a lot of experiences because there are other things, you know, besides just this experience with my son. But they see the value in you and they know you've been there and somebody that's been there, you know, can help a lot of other people. And then just recently, I've taken some of their classes, and they're excellent, excellent on taking care of yourself, you know, and, and that's hard to do, you know, when you've taken care of everyone else. And then I just had a training just recently, a weekend training, so I could be a facilitator in some of the groups. And so, yeah, I've come all the way to this point, and I love that stuff. And everybody, you know, I love the groups. I have a favorite group that I go to, and you can walk in that room, and you can say anything. But the best part of when I first started there, I went in that room, and I couldn't even go the first time. I had to wait. So then I went the <laughs> next week. And I went in there, and I had no idea 
that I could fit in somewhere finally. Their stories are so much like mine and beyond mine. Some are worse, some are better, but you fit in and you're, you know, everybody is there because they care about everyone else. So it definitely makes me want to help even more. And so, you know, I'm open to helping with just about anything with this group and, you know, possibly others. But this one right now is, I think it's going to be my passion for life. (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's really great. And you talk about going to these meetings and you're meeting people who have been through similar situations. Like you said, maybe some not as bad, maybe Mm -hmm. some, you know, a a little bit, uh, a little bit worse. I think about my own experiences, Mm -hmm. right? And, you know, there are things in my life that I feel that it's hard for people to relate to, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the way you described it to me, you know, you going into these meetings, you're like, ah, there's, you know, there's no way anyone's going to understand. There's no way, Mm -hmm. you know, that someone's going to be able to, you know, get me and really help me, you know, get through this because no one's been through it before, right? Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit more about how valuable it was for you to show up and to see that, you know, in fact, there are people who, again, may not have the exact same experience, Mm -hmm. but have similar enough experiences to where they can talk you through what worked for them in there and how they were able to break through that fog and and get back uh, Mm -hmm. to where they wanted to be? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of them have heard of NAMI and they just come to the meeting. They have no idea you know, what it's going to be like. And every week, it's different people. And there's a part of me that just loves that because I love hearing their stories. You know, I love thinking, well, this worked for me. And, oh, I should try some of the ideas and things they've suggested. And when we get there, it's kind of like open. You know, we go around the room. We tell whatever we want to about our story so others know. Or you don't have to tell anything. Mm -hmm. You can just come and sit if you want to. And, you know, they'll care. There's no doubt, you know. And uh, we put name tags on just so we can identify, you know, and have a name with the person. When these other people share their stories, you know, I mean, there's there's plenty of tears. There's always boxes of Kleenexes. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, we do laugh, too. And there's plenty of laughing because, you know, laughter is good. And as bad as it can seem, you know, sometimes we're so used to it and not realizing that a lot of it's not normal and there are places and, and programs that can help us. And I have learned so much there. And other people come and then they come back. But the other part is not only do we hear their stories and and we can suggest, you know, as a group, we give them suggestions, but everybody likes that because we are we have things in common, you know, to some degree. But um, we make friends and, and that's probably the biggest or one of the biggest things I think that that helps is that we become friends and then, you know, you can go from there. We we can go to people's houses. We can go out and eat. You know, you can bowl. You can do whatever. And it's okay, but you don't have to explain anything. And if you can't come because you're having a crisis at home with some of your kids because you've got issues and whatever, everybody gets it, you know, and they understand. So... Um, I think the friendship is a big thing and the fact that you can just 
throw anything out there, and you won't be criticized for it. You know, there's no judgment. It's just, you know, come, and basically you'll come and enjoy it. But you always want to go because more of it's more of what you can learn and what you can take in and how good it makes you feel. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't realize how bad I was or how bad I felt yeah. till I started, you know, till I talked to people at NAMI. And then when I started going to the groups and the classes, I had no idea, you know, and I've learned so much that, you know, my life is so much better now. Yeah. And to me, it's a lot like a healing process, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. the initial, you know, say you've got a, a scrape on your arm and the initial, you know, mm-hmm. you put like alcohol on it to clean it, right? That initial sting is not ever fun, right? Everyone's mm-hmm. always like, Ugh, you brace, brace for the sting. Mm-hmm. But then after that initial sting, after that initial pain, mm-hmm then the soothing happens and mm-hmm. then the healing starts to mm-hmm. happen. Uh, can you talk about how, you know, that idea of that healing process has worked for you in, in, in working with NAMI and the just, then just in your situation? Well, I think, um, you know, when I was saying how bad I was when I, uh, they called the police, you know, or we called the police the first time, um, when I started going to like the classes, but definitely it's this group uh, that I go to that's helped the most. And when I first started going there, you know, I thought I will just listen. There's no way I can tell my story, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I had a friend that kept saying, "Don't be embarrassed. You don't need to be embarrassed about this." And you know, you learn it's not your fault. And and we have a lot of things that we learn about that you know about feeling guilty, you know, about humor is good and, you know, all kinds of things like that to where it kind of builds you up. But the longer I go, you know, the better I get. And if I miss a week thinking, you know, I just can't go, there's too much, well, I'll miss it. Or people will even text you or, you know, call and say, hey, I missed you, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know where I've been, where I've heard that in a while. Yeah. You know, it. it's, uh, I, I think it's like the NAMI family, you know. I say I've got my faith and I've got NAMI, and I think between the two, that's all I need. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can, I could do anything, but the organization that's come back, you know, and the things that had turned into a mess in my life, how I can straighten those out, you know, it's so much better. And I think you kind of live one day at a time a little bit more, you know, not knowing what's next in your life with maybe your loved one or someone that has mental illness or problems. You know, you just kind of uh, see things where they are. And I think you learn to not judge mm-hmm. as much as you might have. So for people who maybe in a similar situation to, to where you were before. Why would you recommend them taking that leap? Because it is a leap. You, you know, you have to, mm-hmm. you have to reach out, right? Mm-hmm. And, and hope that someone is there to grab your hand. Mm-hmm. But, but why, for you, is it worth that risk? It, it makes me want to be that person that reaches out now. Mm-hmm. You know, it makes me want to help anybody anywhere. I went so long wishing there was help. And it ended up being my neighbor. And, you know, since then I've learned that it's not necessarily family that's going to reach out or be the one. Because, you know, for the longest time I said, well, why would it be my neighbor? And um, it's not unusual. And um, he he could observe and he could tell and he could hear, you know, things weren't so good over at my house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's there's other things that, that weren't good and some people were around that you didn't want around and all kinds of things like that. But um, 
I think uh, when he did that, that made all the difference because I was, I was pretty much done, you know. There was no help. My son was, um, you know, he had violent tendencies sometimes. He was depressed, you know. Um, it just went on and on and on. And then um, the fact that somebody cared enough to reach out to me, uh, you know, and I mean, I was probably at the lowest I ever was in my life. Once uh, that happened, and it was the people that uh, called me, or I, you know, I called NAMI myself, <laughs> probably that next day or that night. I don't even remember anymore. But they reached out to me, and it's like they, uh, they don't push themselves on you, but they cared. And, you know, and at first it was that thinking somebody cared that much about me, you know, and uh, they did. So I think it's important that you find that you're not alone and people do care. So before we close things out, is there anything else you'd like to add that you think uh, listeners could benefit from hearing? You know, in my case, I was fortunate that somebody was watching and observing and was a friend and cared enough to say, hey, uh, do you need any help? Are you okay? You know, because obviously, you know, people could hear what was going on and they can watch and see people's actions. So I was fortunate that somebody did that. But, you know, I get concerned about how can I help other people? You know, this is going to help. But I think also, you know, hopefully some of the ideas that we shared here, or if you would call NAMI, that, of course, right now, that is my answer to a lot of things. Or mm-hmm. if even I still, you know, I'm, I'm not totally out of the fog and uh, it's things are still there. You know, it's a learning, growing situation. You know, I don't know what's next with my son, but, you know, for a lot of people that have had these experiences, it's 24-7. Mm-hmm. And so you can't really be in control of your own life. But there's a lot of things that could make it better and easier, and there is help out there. You know, you aren't alone, which I've had to learn. So I would say if you call any organization, but, you know, definitely NAMI, they're going to give you ideas and directions, and they have all the connections that you need. Plus, they are so caring, and it is sincere. So, you know, I hope that helps people somewhere. Great. Well, well, thank you, Sandy. I appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks. I appreciate it. I enjoyed it. If you're interested in listening to additional episodes of Beyond the Dais, you can search for us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.